All right, we're in First Timothy, First Timothy chapter one. We began a study of this last week, and we will we will pick back up here and see how far we get today. Thankful for a good crowd to stay this morning. Thankful for a good lesson we heard this morning that uh, what this country needs. That was a Great blessing that we received, and we definitely need to be thankful for that and stand for it. All right, we introduced the book of Timothy last week. We, we talked about the fact that he was converted at Lystra, and we talked about the fact in Acts chapter 16 that, that Paul had desired for him to go on with him on his missionary journeys. And we talked about what a great, great compliment that was that the Apostle Paul would want you to go with him on a mission trip. That, that would just be amazing to me to think that Timothy must have been an exceptional young man. We talked about the first, we got into the middle of the fourth verse, but just a quick background, the third verse, Paul had charged Timothy to go uh, to Ephesus and t- tell people, teach people, that they can't be teaching other doctrine. They've got to stay, uh, stay with the, the Bible, the Word of God. They can't go on to teach what they want to do. We talked about the fact that in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, he warned the Ephesian elders that there was going to be wolves come in. That there was going to be some among them, among the eldership, that was going to change and was going to start teaching things contrary to the Word of God. Paul says, I've warned you day and night for three years that this is going to happen. Well, apparently it had happened. And now Timothy has to go back, uh, and he is given a very difficult job. You take a young man, and you tell him, I want you to go to this place. It's not where you're from, but your job is to go there and straighten this mess out. I don't know about you, but how many of you like to straighten a mess out that somebody else has made? Now, we try to avoid that at all costs, don't we? But that's Timothy's job. You've got to go. You've got to charge them that they've got to teach sound doctrine. You've got to tell them, verse 4, to get rid of these fables and endless genealogies. What it was, was uh, these people were trying to intermingle Judaism and Christianity. And it doesn't work. And they were making up all of these different things and they were trying to appeal back again to genealogy and all of that had been destroyed, was going to be destroyed with the destruction of the temple. All of that's gone until he couldn't figure out uh, later on who they even came from, and it really didn't matter. With Christianity, it doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter who our grandfather or great-great-grandfather, none of that matters. And we're all one in Christ, so forget about all of these things that don't matter. And that's how we ended class. Sometimes, even today, we get so, we get so just uh, pent up on... Some of these little things that makes absolutely no difference. Sometimes we dispute and we fight over things in Scripture that we have no business disputing and fighting over. Because again, some things, it doesn't matter if we disagree. On some things, we've got to decide that there are things that are sound doctrine and baptism and worship and all of those things, but that's not where we fight. We fight over those little nitpicky things. Little nitpicky things. And that's what my class on Wednesday night, we're talking about a lot of those nitpicky things. 
and, and brethren will fuss and fight over whether or not you can eat a ham sandwich in a church building. And they will. They will split hairs over things like that and all these big things. You know, that, it's just we don't need to do that. Paul says you've got to go, tells Timothy, you've got to go and you've got to put an end to these fables and endless genealogies. He says all they do is cause disputes rather than godly edification. The purpose of the Bible is not to tear down. We understand that, don't we? The purpose of, of preaching the gospel, of, of teaching about biblical things, it is never to tear down, it is to build up. The gospel is good news. That's what the word means. So we are bringing good news. Now sometimes in order to preach the gospel, you may have to tell people you're doing this wrong, but hey, here's hope. You're doing this wrong, but here's how you fix it. The purpose of the gospel is not to cause disputes and arguments. God is not the author of confusion, the Bible says. He's the author, author of peace. That's not God's desire to come and, and cause everybody to fuss and fight. And, and Timothy is being told, hey, you need to go tell these guys. All of these things that you're trying to do and teach, you're just causing problems when you should be trying to edify one another build each other up to get us uh, to where it is that we need to go. He says, verse 5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and from a good conscience and from sincere faith. The purpose. The purpose that I am sending you to do this, Timothy, is not to dispute, not to argue with people. The purpose of the commandment, the commandment is Paul's charge to Timothy. He says, the purpose of me telling you to do this You've got to do this out of love, a good conscience, a sincere faith. You've got to teach these people that that is the purpose of the teaching that you are bringing is that they will have a genuine love for God, that they will have a pure heart, and that they also will have a sincere faith. You know, love has got to be our motivation. It's got to be. It's got to be our motivation in everything to do. We want to get other people to heaven. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he, if he even could speak with the tongues of angels, if he could stand up and preach a lesson with the most magnificent words in the world, but he didn't do it out of love, it's useless. He said, if I've got enough faith that I can remove mountains, I've got the gift of prophecy, I can do all, have all of this knowledge and have all of this miraculous faith, if I don't have love, it's what? It's useless. Paul said, verse 3, I can give my body to be burned. I can bestow all my goods to feed the poor. I can give away everything that I can possibly have. But if my motivation is not out of love, he says, it's, it's no good. It's useless. We have to realize that love has got to be our proper motivation. We've got to realize, according to Romans 13, verse 10, and Ephesians 4, verse 15, love is what brings us up to the place that we need to be. So Ephesians 4.15, we can grow all things that we need to into Christ. And we do that out of love. And Paul's charge to Timothy to go and tell these people was not out of ill will, it was out of love. Paul, he, he sincerely loved the brethren at Ephesus. He loved them. Go back to Acts 20 again, he says, I warned you day and night with tears. I loved you so much that I shed tears that I, I want you guys to stay pure. 
want you guys to stay whole and sound in the gospel. He wanted them to go to heaven. He says it's got to be out of a pure heart. Out of a pure heart. It's got to be out of a heart that is dedicated to God Almighty. We can't serve two masters. Jesus told us that in Matthew 6.24. Our heart has got to be devoted to the one. Now, we could talk a lot more about that, but I think we understand. It's got to be a sincere faith. It's got to be sincere. It can't be hypocritical. If we've got a hypocritical faith, can we? how long can we fool people? Not long, can we? If you are a, a true hypocrite in the Lord's church, how long can you fool people? Try. You can try, but eventually it's going to catch up with you. Eventually it will. In order to have a sincere faith, you've got to be submissive to Scripture. Submissive to Scripture. And we're going to bring that back in in just a moment. But he says, from which some, from these things that he's talking about, they have strayed. And they have turned aside to idle talk. They desire to be teachers of the law, but they understand neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Says some people strayed from the truth. Again, Paul warned them in Acts chapter 20. There's going to be men arise from you, and they're going to bring other people with, they're going to stray from the faith. That very thing had happened. They had turned aside to another gospel. We talked about that last week, Paul said in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. It's not another gospel, it's perversion, but they've strayed from the faith and they've turned aside to that perversion. He said they've done this through. Idle talk. Idle talk. Some people in the world have the gift of gab, don't they? You guys know what I'm talking about. Somebody that can just talk about anything and everything for as long as they want to, and they really don't talk about nothing. Right? You get a lot of the I feels and I thinks, and, you know, this is just how I believe, and, and you get a lot of this, but there's really no meat involved and isn't that how a lot of times people are led astray smooth talking talking sounds good i mean joel olstein on tv he sounds good doesn't he man he's it's always smiling and just makes everybody feel great and they just want to flock to him and follow him and that's no good just because somebody is a great speaker just because they make you feel good, brethren, don't ever assume that they're right. Make sure that they're right biblically. Paul's telling Timothy, some of these guys have got idle talk. They're, they're saying all of these things that, that people want to hear. Remember that people have itching ears. They, they, they like things that make them feel good. Who doesn't like to feel good? We all like to feel good. Brethren, if we want to be right with God, sometimes we should have a desire to have our toes stepped on. You ever like a good sermon that steps on your toes? That's the only kind. That's the only kind that makes me want to change. I need my toes stepped on. I need my feelings hurt every now and then. I need to have a little bit of godly sorrow. Isn't that what leads to repentance? We don't live in a society that likes that today. Again, we like to feel good. But a good dose of godly sorrow does us all some good from time to time. These people weren't getting it. It was idle talk. He, he says they desired to be teachers of the law. They wanted the popularity maybe that goes along with it. Boy, being a preacher makes you popular, doesn't it, Don? Everybody in the world just wants to get to know you. No, exactly. 
exactly opposite. But if you're one of these feel-good guys, then that changes things, doesn't it? You know, if you're one of these TV guys that, uh, no offense to GBN, I'm not talking about you guys, <laughs> but one of these, uh, you know, big fancy guys, oh, yeah, people like that, right? That, that looks like a good life. You know, making seven figures a year, and oh, boy. Some people, they wanted that. They wanted to be teachers of the law. They didn't understand what they say or the things that they affirm. They were ignorant about the Bible. Again, it was, goes back to the idle talk. It was simply the gift of gab. They were preaching messages that were not messages that Jesus would want preached. But again, it was messages that people liked. And they didn't know anything about what they were doing. We've got to be careful when it comes to that. We can't desire to preach because of popularity. We've got to be a people. Acts 20, verse 27, when Paul was in Ephesus, he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. If we're not receiving the whole counsel of God, no good. James says you can keep the whole law and, and leave part of it out. What happens? You're guilty of all of it. You've got to get it all. And no one should ever be your enemy if they tell you the truth. Galatians 4.16, Paul asked that question. Am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? People don't like the truth sometimes, but you still tell the truth. And that may make them your enemy. Paul even questioned that. Are you upset at me because what I'm teaching you is the truth? That's the case. If you're upset because it's the truth, you've got a problem with God, not with man. And you don't want to have a problem uh, with God. All right, he says, verse 9, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. What does he mean? He's talking about the old law here. And he says the old law had a very specific purpose. And it was a very good thing if we use it for the way that it was intended to be used. Romans 15, 4, things written four times were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, these things happen unto them, speaking of those in the old law, uh, in the Old Testament, these things happen to them as an example for us. We're going to learn from those examples that we read about in the Old Testament Bible. What were some of the purposes of the Old Testament? Well, one of the greatest purposes of the Old Testament was to, to define the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, he said, I would not have known that coveting was wrong except what? That the law had taught me. So in other words, the purpose of the law was to get people to understand what is sin. 1 John 3, verse 4, sin is transgressing God's law. So when God sets down a law and we go against that, that is sin. So the purpose of the law was to get mankind to understand that everyone is a sinner. Everyone is a sinner. Another purpose was to teach mankind their great need for grace. Great need for grace. Now I want you to think about something. There's a statement that was repeated over and over and over and over again through the New Testament. Talking about the Old Testament. He says it was a yoke that neither us nor our fathers could bear. It was something that was put around our neck. That's what a yoke is, right? It was something that was to bring us 
into submission. That's, not, that's what a yoke does, right? You put the yoke on the animal, brings that animal into submission, but it was a yoke we couldn't bear. So there were so many rules and restrictions and, and everything, nobody could keep it. Nobody was good enough. It was, it was too much. It was too heavy on their necks. So you see, the law defines sin. It taught mankind that, that, that they can't do it. They needed something else. Well, then another purpose was to bring us Jesus. Everything in that Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. All the way back to Genesis 3.15, you know, the woman's seed is coming. He's going to bruise the head of Satan. Forgiveness is coming. There's going to be a fountain filled with blood. We sing that song, and that's in the Old Testament, in Zechariah 13. It was to point us to Christ, to get us to, to, get us to see that we couldn't bear the yoke of the Old Testament. But Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28-30, He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Because He's got us to a place that there's grace and forgiveness. And His blood has been shed. And, and the old law pointed us toward every bit of that. The old law also helped us to understand the necessity of obedience. And that's why when we stand up and we preach sermon after sermon, we appeal back to all of these things to show that God set forth uh, what He wanted people to do and whether or not they did it determined the outcome. Every time through the Old Testament, God laid down what He wanted and whether or not man obeyed determined the outcome. You know, that's still true today. And the old law is what helps us to understand that. So the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. If a man uses it the way that it was designed to be used. The old law was not designed to, to be used to bring and bind everything on people today under the new covenant. And you see, that was their problem. They're trying to, to Judaize people that are Christians. Paul says, you're not using it lawfully. Remember, things written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That's just four things that, that we talked about we could learn uh, through the old law. All right, let's get into verse 9 and 10 and 11. I want to try to finish that today. He says, But we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for then he goes and he's going to do a list. He says, the law is not made for a righteous person. Let me ask you something. If everyone was righteous, if everyone did what was right, would we need a law? No. If everybody drove the speed limit and never exceeded it, would we need a police officer? See, I met one this morning, or I seen one sitting, and first thing I did is I slammed on my brakes, and my wife says, you weren't speeding. Well, no, I wasn't, but what do we think? I might have been speeding. If nobody ever broke the speed limit, we wouldn't need a cop sitting on the corner, would we? We wouldn't need a law in place. But you see, Romans 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. If everybody's righteous, we don't need a law. But nobody is righteous, so we need a what? We need a law. Got to have a law. Well, they're ringing me out early today. All right. Quickly, we'll try to run through this. These are... Uh, not difficult things to understand. He says, the law was given, and the law still, even today, the law of Christ is what uh, is being considered. 
The law is given for the lawless and subordinate. Insubordinate. The lawless is people who live outside the law. People that are a law unto themselves. They're their own God. Right? You're lawless. You don't, you're an outlaw. You, you don't conform to anything. You're your own God. You're your own judge. The insubordinate are people that are not under subjection. They do their own thing. In fact, the Bible sometimes would describe them as stiff-necked. Isn't that what Stephen called the people in Acts chapter 7? You are a stiff-necked people. They would not take the yoke. Remember Jesus' yoke is easy. They weren't taking it. They were like an old ox. Its neck was stiff and he would not let you put that yoke on him. They're insubordinate. They're going to do their own thing. Again, very similar to the first one. They don't submit to anybody. He says, for the ungodly and sinner. The ungodly would be a person that has absolutely no reverence for God. And in fact, they defy God. No reverence. They don't want any part in that. Sinners is someone who lives in conscience opposition to God's will. Someone that has no morality. They're not concerned about doing what God would have him to do. Next, he says, for the unholy. Someone that is unholy religion or, or God would be repulsive to them. It is someone that would desire to remove God from everything. They don't want His name mentioned. Does that sound familiar? That should sound very familiar. We have a lot of people fits that bill, don't we? We have a lot of people that fits all of these so far in this country. Let's get rid of God. Get rid of religion. He says, for the profane. Profane would be someone that trampled on holy things. That's where the word would originate. Somebody would just trample. You remember uh, the, God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, said, take your shoes off your feet, you're standing on holy ground. And out of respect, he would do exactly what God said. But this is someone that does the opposite. God would say, remove your shoes, and they would just step all over. It didn't matter to them, but profane. They have no desire for God. They belittle God and they belittle religion. That is a sad thing. Going down, he says, murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, and, and it would be people that perhaps even actually killed their fathers or their mothers. It would be people that cause great dishonor. A murder of the heart, maybe. Just completely turned against them and, and no respect at all for their family. He goes on to say manslayers. A manslayer would be just someone who is simply a murderer or manslayer would fit the bill of exactly what Don preached this morning. Someone that would reach inside of a mother and cut a baby up is a manslayer. That is a murderer. He says fornicators. Fornicators, we have studied this word. It's anything that's sexually immoral. immoral. Sexual immorality. Anything that would fit the bill. Sodomites. Automize the King James says. We understand what that is, right? Homosexuality. He says the law is made for that. Kidnappers. Kidnapper would be come from an idea of a slave dealer, a man stealer, someone that's taking someone that is not theirs. And that still happens today. He says liars. Liars are people that tell untruths. Perjurers are people that, that falsely swear. People that are, are vow breakers. They promise they'll do something but they don't do it. He says, and any other thing contrary. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, we're to abstain from every appearance of evil. Now here, that's what I want to do. 
I wrote down something on the back of my paper here. Somebody tell me the Ten Commandments. I'm putting you guys on the spot, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor thy father and mother. And then he goes on to say, thou shalt not uh, kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, and thou shalt not covet. Do you know that every one of those except the Sabbath was just covered? Every one of them. We'll pick that up next time, I guess. Sorry. 